What's up and welcome to another episode of Grindline Podcast. I'm your host, Greg. You're listening to episode 227. We do have a mailbag tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about the Stanley Cup final matchup. Henrik Zetterberg was inducted into the IHF Hockey Hall of Fame. But I'm here with Ryan and Tyler. And I mean, it's like a fucking miracle when the three of us get on at the same time. And he does. Ryan apparently does the Owen Wilson wow at the beginning of every single episode. (laughs) Because last time... Well, last episode, it was because we were at 226, and I said, 226, you're like, wow. Oh, <laughs> shit. I do do and, that a lot, don't I? And tonight, we have huh. Tyler, which is an even bigger wow. He figured out... That's what got the wow. He figured out that if he works out in the morning, that he has free time at, in the evening, and that's just a revelation for him. But uh, Tyler, I'll start with you. How are you, uh, you know, being on the podcast, guest appearance? Uh, no, guest appearance. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm back. Uh, I'm glad to be back been a little while since i've actually talked about the wings uh not that there's a whole lot to talk about in terms of the wings but there's a lot to talk about hockey wise and certainly the uh the whole joe valeno thing i'd like to to speak on because i don't really know what the thing like two weeks ago we're past we're past these things that was the past but but, (laughs) okay ryan but you know what like i mean (laughs) the more we get to deeper to the summer the, the more that we'll have to talk about in terms of the wings just watch the cop drive by my house, so I'm intrigued where that's where where he went just now. But uh, <laughs> other than that, Ryan, watch Ryan. Yeah, I just had a attractive woman jog by my house. That's a better scenario that you're in right now than to me than I would the, say ho- so. the hoodlums of Canton apparently. Oh hoodlums lord, Canton! There's no hoodlums in Canton, please. No, there's. I, I don't know what's going on. I want to. I want to see where he went, but I can't walk outside because then it'll just be blank chair that i don't think anyone wants to see but anyways i'm good uh i know that we have a lot to talk about i don't really have many things to update other than my beer tastes really good so let's keep keep going fantastic well we do have a stanley cup final matchup it is the vegas golden knights versus the florida panthers um i don't think many people saw florida getting to the uh finals i definitely thought carolina was going to take them out uh that was sorely mistaken apparently Vegas has a strong team, man, and I had Vegas in the finals and they're in the finals. So half of my bracket is was actually I think that half besides Seattle was perfect on that part of my bracket. And the right side, uh, Florida fucked all that up. But I, I love the matchup And what they say about matchups like this. And I agree with it is that matchups, especially finals and championships in non-traditional markets, help grow the sport, which is true. And they both have hell, like a hell of a team. Florida won the President's Trophy last season. Vegas has been on a tear basically since they got into the league, and they're they're made it to the they're making it to the finals in their first six seasons in the league, which is phenomenal. And I think it's great. And it works when it works. And as we've seen with the Coyotes, it doesn't work when it doesn't work. And I think a lot of that has to do with ownership, how they build a team, the money they're willing to spend. And they've got good owners in Vegas. They've got a phenomenal atmosphere. They've got a great location. Great management team in general, other than just the ownership. Exactly. And I'm just, I I like the matchup. And a lot of people will say they don't like the matchup. And that's fine. And Why? I, because it's too, It's not an original six team versus an original six team? Yeah. Uh, so but I think that's a lot of the complaints right now. On Facebook, um, oh, disclaimer, disclaimer, uh, someone had put, if Florida and Vegas make it to the finals, I am never watching this sport again. And I said, why? Because two teams that deserve to be there are making it to the finals. And they're like, they're not hockey cities. 
but they've so got what? hockey. They've got hockey and they're winning games and they're good teams and they're they're made well and they're coached well and the players bought in and the fans have been fantastic. It's the most player most fans I've seen at a Florida game in how long? Like it's getting good. And if, they if this it. is something exactly, and if this is something that turns you off of the game, I mean there's a big issue there. I mean, I think Florida's been shit on the last several years because even last year when they were a president's cup winning team, I think their attendance was pretty much laughable. And you you could tell that there was frustration this season because they had a slow start. You can almost say it was kind of not quite as bad, but like the blues where they just weren't, they couldn't figure it out. The blues when they won the cup is what I'm referring to is that Florida couldn't figure it out. Then things just seemed to click. Their stars became st- the stars that they should be. And as the season w- went on, the crowd picked up. And it wasn't just a, okay, the Red Wings are in town. It's going to be all Wings fans. Were there a lot there? Yes. But the Florida fans were starting to show up as that hype started to build. Now, it's going to be, can they keep this up after this? Because it had, it's been since, what, 96 since they were in this position? And they lost to Colorado that year, if I remember correctly. So what by the Avalanche in ninety six. Yeah. So that was this is huge for them. But and then you look on the flip side of Vegas to say that that's not a hockey city. I mean, it's shit at this point. I would beg to differ. I'd say that's one of oh, the hottest absolutely. hockey markets in the league right now, hands down. The the way you when you think of Vegas, that team epitomizes that. And the the show that they put on for the pregame, they take everything that you have in Vegas, and it is a part of that team now, and it's incredible. Now, I'm not saying that what the Wings put on isn't great, but it does to me. It doesn't touch what Vegas does. There is a legit excitement every game, pregame, during the game, because of the at, like the entertainment aspect that they bring from the strip into the arena, and it's impressive. Yeah, I'll I'll say one thing. The the matchup, I mean, it's cool, but I'll tell you what, in terms of casual hockey fans or even people that don't watch hockey, no one's going to watch this Stanley Cup final at like a, a high level. Like the ratings are going to be really low, I think, because nationally, those teams on what TNT, right? Yeah, those teams don't move the needle for people. The teams that move the needle for people are like Pittsburgh and Chicago and Detroit and, you know, Edmonton even, I think, would move the needle more than Vegas. I mean, I think I'll Vegas does. It. I think Vegas might move the needle more than Florida at this point. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I mean, I don't think Florida moves the needle for anybody, honestly. If anything, Vegas, at least Vegas is one of those teams that you love them or you hate them. I'm on the side where I hate them because I hate the fact that they just turn over their roster and they turn over their coaches like like it's nothing. I can't stand that personally. But I can see why someone would like that. And, you know, they're a newer team, so some people like them. Some people hate the fact that they got to the Stanley Cup final their first year. Um, you know, especially, like, teams of fans like Detroit or or other teams that have struggled for a long time to get there. And then, you know, Vegas kind of gets handed that. And, yeah, you know, they they did a good job of of managing what they had to do and and everything. So did Seattle as well. But, like I'm saying, like, I don't think those teams move the needle, but that's not the NHL's problem. That, that like that this is where you're at with parity. You want parity, this is what you got. Two teams that really don't move the needle for people. But you know what? Hockey-wise, I think it's going to be a damn good series. I think you're going to get two really good teams. I think it goes 7 honestly. 
I think you might be able to make the argument of Florida maybe not moving the needle for a um, a national kind of fan base, but I think that Vegas absolutely can with mm-hmm. I mean like Ryan said with the experience in general because of the pregame and because of what happens uh during intermissions and everything in Vegas and how they bring like the Vegas entertainment aspect to it. I think that's huge. I mean, there's it's it's going to be absolutely electric and people are going to be pumped and it's gonna they've got two very tough teams. So if you're trying to bring people that are not hockey fans into hockey and having Vegas in the final, I think is an excellent way to do it just because of just the kind of pageantry of the whole thing and what they do. I think Vegas is the perfect opportunity to just have someone who does not watch hockey and especially being on TNT, Ryan, because the TNT broadcast is miles miles better than what the espn broadcast is it, in, they embarrass espn it's also going to be on tnt true tv and tbs great I guess all they're putting it the across their whole network more yep. opportunities wow. more opportunities for people to watch and that's Except what you need for game five game five oh, that's weird if it makes to game five there must be an nba game on or something mm, could be maybe yeah. major league baseball i don't know if you put it in all those all those channels and you show that presentation to everyone, I mean, it's got to hook some people. Nationally, I don't think it moves the needle, but I will say in terms of like in those markets, I mean, that that's that's going to grow the game of hockey tremendously. I mean, obviously in Vegas, it's it's already kind of grown, but it's going to continue to grow in Florida. I mean, if you know where that is, Sunrise is kind of far kind of close to Miami, kind of close to Fort Lauderdale. There's not like a whole lot of hockey there, but I mean, you know, the more that you win and the more that you put people, put put this team in front of people's faces, I mean, the more they can grow it. I mean, Kachuk's going to be there for a long time, so he could, yeah. he could grow the game down there tremendously. And the big thing with that, with you mentioning Kachuk, he's a Team USA. You're going to push that. We got a stud American and a... Pr- potentially premier market is what they're pushing towards. I mean, I think a lot of people, even myself included, forgot that they were a president's trophy winning team. Zito got aggressive, made the big trades and moves in the off season to try to improve them. It didn't click or, and or mesh for most much of the season, but it meshed and clicked at the right time, which as we've seen over the last several years in particular, that's all that matters. If you've got the right guys stepping up, and your goaltending stepping up, you're good to go. But I think to find my last point I'll touch on, like for the market piece, though, I mean, Florida is Florida. I think for the casual hockey fan, they're still going to shit on them just because they're the Panthers and their attendance has always sucked. But Vegas has stood out, as I already mentioned, from the get-go because of the way they present themselves. But their original Twitter ad men put them on the map even more so. And that really got the engagements up. It got people talking about them. And that's pretty much maintained. They haven't been as like offhand witty as at at the start, but they still provide a sense of, hey, we're still new here. We're going to make you laugh. And we're also going to talk some shit. And we got a good hockey team to boot. So to me, the people that are pissed off saying they got handed a team. Okay, well, these teams could have restricted who they had available to them. And George McPhee also had a, an, an incredible plan, and he has maintained that plan the last several years. And he's not afraid to 
completely upheave his roster because as we all know, it's a business. Yes, there's going to be certain players that you're going to keep around for an extended period of time, but he's still got to be smart. You got to win. And and this league is about winning. If you don't win, who gives a shit? Detroit's not winning. Everyone shits on him now. I do remember Elliot Friedman going on 31 thoughts or at the time. I think it's 32 thoughts now. And he was talking about how like a lot of players in the NHL don't trust what Vegas is doing. And in terms of like, they don't, they wouldn't want to go there because the fact that, you know, they don't know if they're going to be there the next year, even if they sign a giant deal that they, they might not be there the next year. I mean, I, on one hand, you understand that. And on the other hand, it's like, if you're Vegas too bad, who cares? I mean, your top players, and Jack Eichel, no movement clause, signed for three more years at $10 million. Mark Stone's on a no-move clause. Carlson, Will Carlson, Wild Bill, modified no trade. Like, they're top players they've locked down. So if you want to talk to the point of role players being afraid to go there, sure. But McPhee's going to make a move to bring somebody in anyways. So if you're not going to step up and go there, then somebody else is going to be more than willing to do that. And that can happen with any team, too. That's not just a Vegas thing. Like, you could get traded anywhere, and then a year later be traded back out of town that's not just a mm-hmm. vegas thing. but th- there's some there's a lot of players that they did that to though so get good or get out you're upset as a fan at the, at the moment you might be pissed off as a player but they're top players and i didn't go to their defense petrangelo no move alec martinez modified no trade shea theodore modified no trade brady McMahon modified no trade they're top players all aren't going anywhere You've got stability on that team. Age, Either that's going to make, make them age quickly, though. I think the the problem is, is it took them a few years to figure out what was going to work. So they moved these players in and then failed fast. They figured out they weren't going to work and shipped them out, which is what they need to do. And then when they got the guys they knew were going to work, they locked them in. They gave them the no moves. They gave them the no trades. I think they are a more stable team now than they were in the past because they're just tooling to get to get to the finals, which they did, and to win a cup. So I don't think you're going to see a lot more of those huge ship a bunch of guys out kind of moves because their team works now. Their team is solid. They've got the pieces they need to stick around and and push and make a win, which is what they're hoping to do. As I said, a lot of those guys just mentioned, their contracts are either several guys are up next year. I mean, Eichel, Stone, and Carlson are all signed for at least three more years. Most of these contracts are after this next season. They're due for new ones and or so. So to your point of Tyler, them getting too old. Several of these guys are going to be at that point of, all right, time to cut, cut our losses and bring someone else in that's younger. So I don't think they're in a bad spot at all right now. I think prospects wise, they definitely are in a trade in Suzuki. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Trading trading a lot of their guys away. I mean, so they're going to have to do something in terms of, Maybe free agency. I don't know. But I mean, if you win the Stanley Cup, I guess it doesn't really exactly. Matter. That's what happens when you're good is you can afford to trade picks and you can afford to trade young guys to secure your winning team, which is mm-hmm. what they've done. Unless you're Ken Holland and then you trade your young guys and picks to try to keep your death grip on the fucking playoffs. And then you put yourself in a really shit situation. But the way Vegas is doing it now, they're set to where they can make those moves because they're winning. It's the modern approach that you now have to take with the caps cap situation. Yeah, exactly. Which is what Iserman hopes to do in the offseason is take advantage of the cap situation. But what I kind of want to launch into tonight, which is our main thing, uh, we're going to get in. Actually, you know what? Before I do, because it is going to be a rather long segment, our mailbag, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. 
before we come back for listener questions. We have quite a few of them from Twitter and one from Facebook. So we will be right back in just a minute. Light the lamp during the hockey playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook. Right now, new customers can make a $5 bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. You can always take the underdog, so like the Florida Panthers and the Seattle Kraken, to win tonight to make some bonus money. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code THPN. New customers can make a $5 hockey playoff bet and score $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's code THPN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Massachusetts, call 800-327-5050 or visit gamblinghelplinema.org. In New York, call 877-8-H-O-P-E-N-Y or text H-O-P-E-N-Y. In Kansas, call 1-800-522-4700. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. Eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. And we are back, and we have a mailbag, so I did a call for questions I was, earlier. I was so enthusiastic, and, and we are back. And we're back. We're all tired, guys, like... Except uh, for maybe Tyler. We we have kids, so we're tired. And it's hot outside, and I'm pretty sure when you have kids, every day you spend outside, and that's basically what it's been. I painted a fucking door. I painted my front door. It required two coats of primer. I did two coats of paint, and it needs another coat of paint. What and color was it, and what are you going to? It was red. Okay. It is going to green, dark green. So oh. I needed to do primer to block the red, and green... But now I need to do three coats of the green so that there's no streaks and each coat takes four hours to dry. So I need another coat of green on my door. And I'm just I was out in 87 degree weather painting a fucking door and it's hot and miserable. And yes, I am tired, but we have mailbag questions and I put a call out earlier and we got questions from people. They're really good and I like them. So we're going to answer them because we're nice like that. And that's the point of this. Hey. fucking episode. So we're going to start just slightly with Robert Smith at R1 Smith 1602 on Twitter with the, the running wings, back, right? Um, no, no, maybe. I don't think so. I didn't know there was a running back named Robert Smith, but with the yeah, wings, he's a Buckeye play for Minnesota forever. Oh, boy. oh then we, we don't care. Guess we don't care. Uh, would maybe the wings consider trading both firsts in 2024 to get a pick in the top 15 in this year's draft? And I'm going to say no, I would say no. Um, I think they're going to use one, if not both of those picks to pick up players, not draft other draft picks. So we've got number nine. We've got number 17. We may be able to move up from 17 a little higher with adding seconds or with adding picks from next season. But I don't think you're going to trade both those firsts to move up. But if you do trade those firsts, I think you're going to use them in a deal for a William Nylander for someone we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit. Clayton Keller, uh, there are going to be picks there, I think, that will get traded, but I don't think it's going to be to move up in this draft. I don't see a reason to. No, and I'm going to piggyback on one of those picks in particular, the Boston pick. Now, I know I've I think I've said it week over week because it still bothers me how well Boston ended up doing this year. But that's a top 10 protected pick in 24. If somehow Boston shits the bed next season, not saying they will never know what could happen, depending on what they lose or who they who they lose and so on and so forth. Half their team could get the plague. We don't know what's going to happen. Sure. But if that's a top 10 pick, it shifts to 2025 and is completely unprotected. 
I think that could be a valuable tool for Iserman to utilize to go after whoever on whatever team. He's made it clear that he's not to the point of wanting to trade for firsts. But of all the ones I think you float out there, it has to be that one. Because if you've got a team getting an unprotected 2025 pick as like your best case scenario, if Boston completely just collapses in the next year, that easily gets you a Nylander. That easily gets you any player you pretty much can think of. Does it help you get a Mitch Marner? Possibly. I think you're going to need several more and a player, but it's the potential is there because that could become a very valuable pick. And if anything, you could still end up getting a, what, 11 through 20 pick at, at that scenario. If we're looking at next season alone. So the answer to the question, though, no, I don't see them making a move for top 15. I, I think it makes more sense to get a now like impact type player. Tyler. Yeah, I mean, I could see it because I think Eisenman puts a lot of stock into this draft, especially if you can get in the top five. But my thing is, I don't think you're getting in the top five with two of those picks. I think this draft is just so, so deep and so um, coveted that I don't I don't think you're getting in the top five, even, even if you give up these two first round picks and maybe even a second round pick. I still don't think that gets you up in the top five. Um, but I don't think the wings are really in the position to have to do this. I think at this point, maybe you're in the position to trade these picks away or at least one of them for a player X player. I don't know. Marner, Nylander, uh, Keller, someone like that. I don't know. Um, Tom Wilson, maybe. Um, I, I know he's using a, a first on Tom Wilson. I'm going to be pretty pissed off. Not gonna Yeah. Lie. Maybe uh, a couple of years ago, I would say I could give you that argument, but if maybe not Detroit. Yeah. But at this point. How old is he? Was he 29 still or is he 30 yet? Last I checked, I thought it was 28, but I think you could get Tom Wilson for a second. Tom a good Wilson prospect. is 29. Doesn't really look like Washington's really trying to rebuild. I guess they're trying to retool. I don't think I don't anyone know. knows what they're doing. Trading Wilson would be the, the move. But anyways, I, I would be fine if they. Didn't they just hire a new coach? Or they did. Oh, Nashville did. Did they both? No, Washington did too. Yeah, an assistant from Toronto. That's right. Um, but anyways, yeah, no, I mean, I don't see them making the pick, or I don't see them trading the two picks away to move up. Great, we're all on the same page. We're not going to trade picks to move up, but we will trade picks. I mean, we have to trade picks to get another player. It's inevitable. Next year's. Let's point. clarify the twenty twenty four picks next year's picks. Well, well, we'll probably also trade one of the second round picks from this year because I don't think they're going to take three picks in a row. No. They could, but I don't think they're going to. Uh, next question comes from Marcus at Marcus Brent twenty one on Twitter. Who's a better fit for the Red Wings if they somehow move up, Fantilli or Carlson? And uh, this is just, I guess, a dream question because it's not happening, guys. I, and I love that there are people that like uh, another one. Dave are uh, at FCR. Dave on Twitter says, what are the chances the wings can move up to number two or three in the draft? Zero percent. Absolutely zero. I think when we looked at it, like one of the previous episodes at the draft list and in, in who's picking where the highest we may be able to trade up to is like six. But I, at that point, I don't think it's necessary unless someone like Fantilli or Carlson miraculously drops. I'm not even trying to trade up to six for like Will Smith because he might be there at six, but I'm not going to try and move up because the cost and the gap between like a Will Smith 
and a Ryan Leonard or a Will Smith and an Oliver Moore might not be that huge to where it's probably not going to matter down the road. So it's not going to happen. Who would I take? I mean, I think Fantilli is probably the most NHL-ready player right now. Um, Carlson, not far behind, though Carlson has spent his time on larger ice internationally, playing in the SHL, where Fantilli has the American game under his belt. I just and think that that's... Advantage. And I, I don't think there's that much of a size advantage, though, because I think I think Carlson's like 6'3", 198. Is he that somewhere big? There. I think He's, I, I don't know, but I think that if you were to get there, and if, if this was Steve Eiserman wet dreamland, Fantilli is your pick in that spot. I just can't. Oh, he is I 6'3", think, 194. I take it back. I think Fantilli might have been the only one that could have could have challenged Connor Bedard for that number one spot uh, simply because of his NHL readiness and just his completeness of game in, in that respect. But if you were to move up, Carlson's there, actually bigger than Fantilli. Is he? Per EP, anyways, he's got him by a pound and or seven pounds and one inch. Okay, I mean the seven pounds isn't that big of a deal, and neither is really the inch in height, so they're about the same size. But I mean, I'm still taking Fantilli. Must have been thinking of a Lucas Raymond type or something with uh, Carlson there. Yeah, um, I would obviously I was, take I, Fantilli too. I'd go either route. I. I like Fantilli, I think maybe because that's just the bias for me able to actually see him more being at U of M and local. But I mean, you look at him in the worlds, especially recently, you could argue they both had a good worlds, but Fantilli did not look out of place. I thought he had a great tournament. Again, this probably the US Canada bias coming out of me on this one, but it's hard to say no to a Swede. If you are skilled Swede, I, it's you, you love it, but I've liked Fantilli for a long time. I was really hoping that Detroit could at least get to two and or three in this in, for the lottery. And that would have been, he'd been a perfect fit. He goes right into your top nines as your centers in the center core and you're, you're not losing anything. And he's a true center. I know, I know is Carlson kind of in between, I guess what's, what's his primary role right now? Carlson's a hybrid, but I think Carlson might be a winger in the NHL. So again, there, there, that speaks to, Detroit needs guys up the middle still high end guys up the middle. And Fantilli has shown that he can do that. And he had some goals and plays this in this world, in the worlds recently that show that he is ready to do that in the potential NHL level. Now things could change, but long story short, I would probably go Fantilli. The next question comes from Adam Kerr at Adam Kerr 05 on Twitter. Should the wings bring back Luke Glenn Denning on like a league minimum deal. So Luke Glendening is 34 uh, and best known for face-offs and uh, his grit. And uh, no, no, they should not. I, I just, I would like to be able to bring guys in. I would like to be able to inject talent into this roster. I think bringing in a bottom six face-off specialist, not really what we need to be doing right now. Luke Lindenning, like I said, 34. I'm not sure he's at the point where he needs to just keep taking league minimum deals either. I think he could go sign for two years somewhere for a million and a half dollars. Sure. But I just I don't think you need to to be going out and just trying to bring guys back in. To me, that doesn't really make sense unless you're trying to round out 
a roster. And right now we're trying to beef up our roster. We're trying to get into the playoffs. We're not trying to contend for a cup with a team we know is perfect and great and missing two pieces. We're missing more than that. So I think if we were further along, maybe a Luke Lendening type deal might make sense. But right now, I just I it would be a feel good story for people more than making a lot of roster sense or development sense for this team. My wife would be happy. That's what I'm saying. That's Ryan. for reasons a feel other good. than hockey. Um, but I mean, I, I don't think I, as neat as it would be, I, I don't see it working or being appropriate because you've got a Joe Bellino in that fourth line center role and or Michael Rasmussen who we forget that Moose was when he went out that kind of I feel like impacted the team more than we probably would have expected um and he and Moose is a guy that can really play on any line and not be negatively impacted you put a Luke Glendening on your top six at any point and you're likely going to be negatively impacted and he's going to be a great four checker but does he have that same speed that he had before is he going to be able to be as aggressive? What was what were his faceoff numbers this year? Does anyone have a hockey reference? I don't, but I can look if you keep talking. Uh, I'm going to keep talking, but I mean, if you compare his faceoff numbers to the team, he probably still blows everybody away. And this year they were at 59. percent So yeah, I high. think he still would have blown away. The entire Red Wings roster, I think Larkin might have been probably the closest. Let's see. Face-off percentage. Dylan Larkin's face-off percentage this season was 54.4. Next closest was Raz, who missed a lot of the year. Cop had the next highest amount at 49.8%. So Glendening, again, would have led this team I'm sorry, face-off. Ryan. Wait. Taro Hirose took one face-off and won it. So 100% face-off for Taro Hirose. Doesn't count. Get out Whatever. of here with that. <laughs> now, I mean, I will say since going to Dallas, Glenn Denning looks like he's been relied on far less than what he was at Detroit in terms of taking face-offs, um, at least going into the last couple of years. But still, he crushed it. At 59%. He hasn't been below his lowest total. You've got to go back to 2016, 17. Nope, I take that back. His second year in the league in 14, 15, where he was at a 51. No, first year in the league was a 48-5. I take it back. Sorry. I'm jumping all over the place here. I'm trying to look back. So when he was 24 years old, was his worst year. You got to go back a long way for him being anything below 51% or or less. So would he be that that'd be really all you're getting him for is a face off draw at this point. Not saying that he couldn't handle his own, but I don't know. I think you've got guys in the system that you're trying to make into that role or have in that role now at this point. Now are they as good as fit face off? No, but they do everything else that he was doing and probably a little bit better at this point. So it's a, a big long, no for saying now. Yeah. yeah, it's a big no for me. I like Glendening as a player. It's I think he left at 32 years old. Would you say he's 34 now? So I, I or maybe he left at 31. But he, yep. even then, uh, no, uh, we don't need to bring back the band. We don't need to bring back anything. This is just do what you're doing. Stay the course. You don't need to go signing players just because. We don't need the Valtteri Filpolas of the world or the Luke Glendennings of the world. They were good. They served their purpose while they were in Detroit. It's time. 
to move on and bring in new players. I think we can then answer Ronald Levesque's uh, question at the same time. He thinks the Red Wings should bring back Tatar or Nyquist. Uh, no, I just there's there's no reason we need to. I don't get the obsession with going back to the well. Let's go back to players that have been here before and then just, I guess, try to make the team great using players that we've had previously because the names are familiar, which to me, it doesn't make sense because they're not making your team better. The experiment was tried, it didn't work. If Tatar was 26 years old and just came off like, you know, the greatest season of his career with 40 goals or something, it was a UFA, then okay, I could see it. Sure, same with Nyquist. 30 now? Older. Older. Tatar will be 33 in December. Holy crap, that makes me feel old. Like, so it's, I don't, don't need to do it. Like, I don't, there's no point. To Tatar's credit, he's still managed to be fairly consistent in terms of his point production. He's still had a 20 goal season this year. Um, Other than Lockett last year, he didn't seem, things didn't seem to click in New Jersey. But, I mean, he's he's in a role-playing position, but it's really not much different than when he left Detroit, where he was actually heavily relied upon. Now, in 1920 in Montreal, he had 61 points in 68 games, but that's the closest he's come to like extreme output. So to think that that could happen or a 2030 season here in Detroit, I, I don't know. And Goose, he his injuries scare me at this point. Like I'd be afraid to kind of go that route and try to bring him on. Yeah, I agree. I just it's I don't need it. We don't need it. Let's stop. We're not doing that anymore. Are there uh, any former Red Wings that you would bring back? Oh, Tyler. Uh, I'm being honest. Is there anybody in the NHL that formerly was drafted or played for the Red Wings that you would bring back? A lot to think about. Yeah, this is like not a great spring on this question right now kind of question. Um, um, who do you? What about you, Tyler? Do you have someone that's at on the top maybe, of your mind right now? Maybe Callie Yarncrock. Yeah, Yarncrock is who I was thinking maybe. of. Yanmark, but not even Yanmark anymore. Yeah, maybe maybe that's more of a couple of years ago. I don't know. Maybe Bertuzzi, depending on the situation and what the contract is. I just don't know what the contract would be there. I mean, that's. <laughs> I want to move to Lars's question first before we get to it. Lars, our buddy Lars at Lars Thorsel on Twitter, uh, who also has the Swedish Winger podcast. If you haven't listened to it, go check it out. It's got a lot of really good content because he is in Sweden. So he gets like firsthand look at all these guys that are over there. So he has the direct line right to the Swedish prospects. But he asks, which draft ranking do you trust the most? It's great that they aren't so dissimilar, right? And uh, then he asked Sandin uh, Palika with the ninth pick, yes or no. So my answer to that is I have really, McKean's has done well for me. I think that McKean's out of the past few years, there's have been pretty, pretty spot on. McKean's put out their final ranking. Right now, their top 10 are Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, Smith, Mitchkoff, Benson, Dvorsky, Leonard, Simashev, and Wood. That's kind of high for Matt Wood, I think, and high for Simashev as well. I would not be taking the left-handed defenseman at number nine. But as far as them not being dissimilar, I think there are a few people that are all over. So Bob McKenzie has some that are kind of weird and out of place. Craig Button must do a really long bong rip before doing his final (laughs) list because some of his 
uh, to me were absolutely insane. I, I mean, think he, it might be lines of something, but he has huh. Axel Sandin Palika at number five. And that to me is high. I think he could go. I wouldn't mind him at nine. So that's the second part of that question. At nine, I wouldn't mind him. We had talked to Tony. People are kind of just drooling over Reinbacher as the top pick. And I had said maybe the same thing, the top defensive pick. And Tony had even said that Axel Sandin Palika could be a better defenseman. And I watched more video. I fully agree. He's very mobile. Again, if you want to compare people to Cider, because that's going to be the hot new thing, is comparing people to Mo Cider, which is great. But I think that that he and he's a right shot. So I think that might be the move there. If they were to take a defenseman, they would stay in Sweden with that pick. Uh, they could let him develop over there. He is five foot eleven, hundred and eighty-one pounds. And I, he just took the, the tournament by storm when he was at the juniors and it, it was great. And I don't see why if they were to go defense, they just they wouldn't have him high on their board. So at nine, I think that the the importance is still going to be put on offense, depending on who's there. And, and we probably won't have to worry about that too much. But if he does slip to that 17 range, which he probably won't. But if he does. That would be my absolute steal of a pick there. I guess the big thing you got to think about, I mean, he checks all the boxes in Pelica of high threat offensive defensemen. I mean, I, I'm not trying to make the comparison to Brian Rafalski, but the way he kind of moves with the puck and takes his shots, that kind of is what it reminds you of. But he can he blows him away when it comes to his skating ability. And you look at the trend of where Detroit's gone. You're, they're looking for mobile defensemen. The only downfall is that he's not as big as half the guys that they've drafted over the last several years. So, I mean, you can pick it, pick at it all you want, but is that where it maybe takes away from him? Or do you go for that player that has what seems to be an incredible, incredibly high offensive IQ and go for it? I don't think it'd be a stretch at nine to, to pull him in at that point, but I, I have to agree with you in that sense, Greg, that they need offensive talent. And if some of these forwards are there, especially at center, I think you got to make that move. But um, so to answer this simply for, for Lars, yes, I would take him. But there's a lot of options there and it makes it kind of a wash in, in some sense. I guess it just depends on who your gut feels is for that day in particular. But yeah, I mean, like we had mentioned before, if you look back to the way the draft went last season and where people were just picking all willy nilly off the board after pick like four people were just picking random players that people had to go two pages into their draft report to try to find the player's name to get a scouting on them. It could happen again. I mean, it absolutely could happen that we're sitting there at nine and no one has taken Matt Mitchkoff because mm-hmm. of the, the Russia issue. And at that point you've got to run to the podium and take them. There there could be a point, I mean, crazy, but if Will Smith is there at nine, you're taking that pick. It's just, it's so much weird shit can happen where I think if there is an offensive player there, and there should be, there should be an Oliver Moore, there should be a Ryan Leonard. I think that that's got to be your pick simply because of our pipeline and the depth of kind of high scoring, high offensive forwards we have is very shallow. 
granted, it is also shallow on the right side, and Sand and Pelica could be a really good pick there. Mm-hmm. I just think that we need to kind of prioritize prioritize offense here, and then maybe pick a defenseman with number seventeen. Yeah, I agree. I think I think to take another defenseman. I mean, if he's there and he's your best player available, I think the Wings are still in the position that you take your best player available. However, in this case, I do think that if there's a center available, whether it be Dvorsky or it be, you know, a guy like Oliver Moore or someone like that that's available, I think I take the center over the defenseman just because I think at this point you need some production from from the front, um, you know, from from the center position. I think they they need some production from there, um, especially young production going forward. Um, because I mean, then up the middle, you'd have Oliver Moore, you'd have Larkin, and then you'd have uh, Marco Casper. I mean, that's a pretty good top three, assuming Casper and Moore or whoever it is pans out. So I mean, if he's there and you think he's your best player available, then you take him. But if if you you think you need to take someone because they're a center or you need some more production, you know, up front, then I t- I take a forward. Good answer, Tyler. Solid answer. Uh, We're going to move on to our question from our buddy Mo over on Discord. Do you guys guys think Detroit will trade for Clayton Keller or Martin Neches? And I think they're, I I like the name Clayton Keller. Everyone likes the name Clayton Keller, especially after his dad tweeted that my son will never play for your team (laughs) again. Like his dad pulled a Karen and went to the manager basically. And Clayton Keller, 24 years old, currently has a cap hit of $7.15 million, signed through the 2027-28 season. Uh, young, really promising winger. This season, he in 82 games played, he had 37 goals and 49 assists. Clayton Keller was shooting at a 16.6 shooting percentage, which to me is kind of unsustainable. Though last season, he shot at a 15.8 for the entire season. So he has that going with for him. Arizona with the Arizona. Yeah, I think that's the big disclaimer with the Arizona Coyotes, a bad team. He is performing very, very well, uh, plays over 20 minutes a night. His J fresh card is a 92% war, 82% EV offense, low defense at 11%, low power play at 39%, but he's a 95 finishing. So when he's taking shots, as you saw by the shooting percentage, he's finishing them. Mm -hmm. And if you want a young, I mean, a young first line winger that is just going to go out and score goals and it's Arizona. So you could probably get him for cheap or cheaper, especially if he wants out. That's the big thing. Does he want out? Is he going to say you guys can't get an arena? No one wants you in Arizona. I don't want to play in college again for 3000 people every night. I want to go to a legitimate hockey city that has a team is on the way up is working to put work into their team to make them win, which Arizona clearly is not. Clayton Keller is a fantastic option. And I think if you could go out and trade that Boston first and a prospect and get Clayton Keller, go do it like today, call him today and do it. What if you could get kill two birds and one stone, get Clayton Keller no, or Carl Vamelka, the goalie. I I mean, maybe if Vamelka wants to play a backup role, but he's shown that he can be good enough to be a starter. Yeah, but him and Huso could battle it out. And at that point, then you're not giving Tristan Jari a free agent 
contract as a backup goalie. Oh, no, Tyler, you missed last week's conversation of uh, offer sheet to Jeremy Swayman. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. You want to yeah. really piss I saw that smirk. Off? Do an <laughs> offer sheet to Swayman because Boston doesn't have money to bring the band back. And they, they don't, don't have, have money, money for Swayman. Back. I guess it depends on where the cap goes and what happens with Bergeron and Krejci. It's only going up a million, so... But what happens with Bergeron and Krejci, obviously they got Pasternak locked up. What's going to happen with Marchand? Because I've seen some people say, I don't know about Marchand retiring, but would he want to play somewhere else? I don't know. Yeah, uh, but all those things you're saying, however, Tyler, is definitely is an offseason mood. Boston has 4.9 million in cap space. Yeah, they're screwed. Yeah, so and my that's offer... not having you got Trent Frederick as an RFA, Bergeron UFA, Burt Alino, Garnet Hathaway, David Krejci, Krejci, Thomas Nosek, all your free agents at forward. Your defense is set. You're good there. You got to worry about Connor Clifton and Dimitri Orlov, who I think are both going to probably walk. The rest of their starting group is set. You got to figure out your offense with five million dollars, Tyler. My offer sheet for Jeremy, my offer sheet for Swayman was three years, five million dollars. That's all Boston's cap. That's the whole thing. What would they do? They would take the first and the third and cry. You you don't think they would be able to maneuver maneuver it? I mean, they, I mean, they can't. So here's because what you, you do. How, how much over the cap can you trade go? wise though? They could trade somebody. They can, but here's they can <laughs> trade like a Brandon Carlo or something like that. Tyler, do they take your first round pick and give up Swayman or do they gut their team, resign Swayman and get themselves into the lottery and push the pick or make or that they pick could like make, a 15 this year? If I was Boston, here's what I would do. And this is just me. We've talked about this a little bit here in, in my apartment. Um, if I was Boston, I would sell high at all mark because there's no chance that he has a game the season he had this year, next year. I would keep Swayman because he's younger and probably the goalie of the future. That's what I would do if I was Boston. But I would absolutely we'll offer sheet Swayman tomorrow. Not tomorrow, after the draft, because you have Look, to I would give love up it. You have to give up your first round draft pick and third round draft pick if Boston accepts. So that's that's what I would do. I mean, I, if I was going to Arizona, though, I would I'd grab Clayton Keller in a heartbeat. That's a kid that absolutely would fit into this lineup. He'd be playing in a big hockey city. He'd be able to get that name recognition for himself because he ain't getting shit for name recognition in Arizona. And I think that'd be a fantastic give him addition. Keller and Zadina or give him the first in Zadina for Keller. <laughs> Call there you go. Uh, Martin Neches, on the other hand, he was drafted the same year as Michael Rasmussen. He went after Rasmussen. He's 24 as well. Uh, this season, in, wet dream right there. In 82 games, has 28 goals and 43 assists. His shooting percentage this year was an 11.7. Uh, I would take Keller before Neches. I think Neches is a little bigger. Yeah, he's 6'2", 189. Yes. So he's a lot bigger. Yeah. But I Power think I'm forward. still... Yeah, I think I'm still going Clayton Keller. This, this, I think Clayton Keller's got more offense in him than Martin. We need Chess a has. difference maker, and as does the Carolina Hurricanes, as you guys saw this year. They don't have that that goal scorer. Well, Svechnikov was out. Yeah, but yeah. I don't. Th- I still don't think he's the Pasternak, the Panarin, the Kucherov. I don't think he's that kind of player. I think he's a good player. Still young, still young. So potentially does does have that 23. upside. 
but I, I don't at this point he's not that player and they need that the Hurricanes need that kind of player we had a, kind of an argument I don't know if it was you and I or if it was me and the guys here at the apartment but we were talking about Sebastian Ajo Ajo is a fantastic player he's not a superstar and that's that's where the Hurricanes kind of ran into a buzzsaw the last couple of years they ran into to Tampa the last couple of years. And then this year they ran into Florida who had better players than they did. I mean, so. they also had Svech on IR, Jake Gardner on IR, uh, Casa on IR. Pacioretty went out right before the playoffs. Yeah, yeah but is like, Pacioretty even years. that that kind of goal scorer? I'm not, I'm not he, sure. He's what, not that type of goal scorer, but he's that type of depth piece that you yeah. want for this play, that type of playoff run. Patches is your great like defensive center. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think what what Carolina needs is like a Mitch Marner kind of player. Sure. But if you look at their roster and you're right, they don't have star power and, and Netchess is making $3 million next season. And then he's an Arb eligible mm-hmm. RFA and he's going to need a raise. Now Arb eligible, he, he can say, Hey, here's what I'm worth. And here are my comparables. I just think that if you're, if you're going between the two, you, you lock up Keller because he's already got a contract, like a big con, like not, big big good for his production great for his production and that contract will look good for years but marty Neches, you're gonna have to pay going rate coming 2024 25 and i don't think you'd want to deal with that headache and they're gonna want probably more back for Neches than arizona's gonna want for clayton keller especially if clayton keller's asking out i think that's the big thing so you gotta you've got to kind of feel out the emotions of both players and both teams to figure out where your deal's at. But but all in all, I think Keller's the move there. That's what makes most sense And what's to me. super interesting, too, and I was just I was curious about it, Clayton Keller seems to be one of the odds-on favorite to be that team's next captain. So that'll really cause a bit of a, a stir over there. <laughs> uh, next question's from Anthony Vincent at Anthony Vincent's one. Oscar Fisker Molgard, would he be a good fit? So I watched some video on Oscar Fisker Mogard and Tony had mentioned him. He's mocked in the second round. I don't see why not. Once you get past the first round, I mean, everything's pretty much a crapshoot there. Once you get past like pick 15, normally things are a crapshoot. But the second round in the 40s, I from what I see, I have no issue with it. Um, it's just what what is Iserman thinking at that point? If you're looking at the summary on him, an intelligent, intense, strong defensive forward, Find soft ice in the offensive zone, has an array of refined professional habits. His ceiling will be determined by how much his offensive tools can be developed. I mean, that's the same really for any guy you're picking in that range is you can see the tools there, but you've got to figure out what is their, what's their percentage that they can put that all together and get that on the ice what, and do it consistently. Are we talking about? I missed the name. Oscar Fisker Mulgard, one of the best ah. names in the draft. It is a fantastic name. No, I, I like him. It'd be interesting um, what could happen there. Where, where's he? I had it pulled up. I think I had, I'm on the He's mocked computer. in the 40s. 40s, so he'd be probably one of those second-round picks, potentially. I wouldn't hate it. I mean, he's playing in the men's league, which is, again, huge. From what I've seen, the guy can skate. He is shifty on the ice. He's not tiny in terms of height. He's six foot, but he needs to bulk up. A lot. So if you can get that to come come along, get the, the muscle there after he's drafted, I mean, he'll be 19 come February. So he's there's still plenty of potential there for him to get that. I guess hopefully, does he go in a year in the SHL, then make the leap over like we've seen in recent history? 
I mean, the guy can handle when he's in tight, his stick handling is fantastic. Is it top level that you could compare to some of the guys we're seeing in the first round right now? Arguable, but again, he's playing in a men's league and he is not afraid to mix it up defensively. I thought he was a good, good back checker. There's a lot of things that you can watch him in the SHL ice and appreciate about what he provides and what he brings. And a lot of it seems like it would translate very easily into Newsy's system. So to me, if he, if he's there and for one of your second round picks, I, I wouldn't be upset with it. Yeah, I agree. I, I don't know a whole lot about him just because he's more of a second rounder. Um, but I do see that uh, elite prospects has him ranked as the 24th skater uh, in this draft. Uh, Craig Button has him at 40. So I guess there's kind of like a, a high and low kind of there. And then yeah. he, for the most part, he is kind of at the bottom of the first round. I don't see why he wouldn't be a good fit. Left shot center uh, definitely has to bulk up, kind of like you said, only 163 yeah. pounds. So, yeah. Um, another Dane, though. I think what you'd hope him to be or hope him to develop as is kind of a J.J. Paterka. How J.J. Paterka is doing for Buffalo right now, it's kind of the same. I, he's five foot 11, 192. He was taken 34 overall by the Sabres. And that was, it's, some rankings had J.J. Paterka going in the mid-first round. Some had him falling to the third. They kind of picked him early, early in the second. And he's, he's putting all his tools together. And he looks like he could be a top six player in the NHL. And that's kind of, I think, what you hope for someone like a, a Mulgaard is that he does take all those tools that looks like he has and kind of puts them forward and and puts it all together and, and then you really get a, a top player out of him eventually but i think it'd be a little bit of a project yeah but it, it, i don't think it'd be a a, a risky one though to me no, based on no. what i've seen i mean this the skill can be there it's if he can bulk up with it and then just that continued progression from what i saw like he's a, a he can be a solid two-way forward and but with a goal scoring touch yeah, you're not no. reaching if you take him. You're just you're hoping yeah. you're, you're betting on a solid development track at that point that that he hits all the milestones. Um, next question is from Jesus Edvinson Hype Train at DRW Collector Fifty Three, one of our friends over on Twitter. Uh, what time will the Bertuzzi homecoming party be at Rowan's house when we resign him? It's not going to happen, guys. I just again, it's the whole going I'm back. Not going to say well no, thing. but it's. It's yeah. a very, very long shot simply because of what the the rumored ask was for him in a long term high cost contract that with his injury history, I just I, I, I don't feel the recency bias is going to say do it, do it because of how he did in the playoffs and how he performed with Boston. And you got to realize that Boston was a much better team. I mean, a much deeper team. They had the scoring threats. They had the offensive threats there and just it's. It's not the same player in Detroit as it was in Boston. And again, I just, if you would take a three-year contract and say, I want three years, $6 million, fantastic. But if you're asking me to give you a five-year, $7 million contract, a seven-year seven contract, I can't do it. Simply because we've five, seen what's happened. Even, even five scares me, but I would be more willing for that than past it. Tyler, just Bertuzzi, the Tyler Bertuzzi feels to me like a guy that's going to get overpaid like a Dave Boland did or like a Matt Bolesky did or like one of those guys 
that like like you you've said it for a while greg that his body is i mean he's had a lot of injuries to begin with but he's the type of guy that's gonna by 29 30 maybe even 31 be like like as if he's 35 in, t- in terms of his body because of how many injuries he's had. I just don't trust giving him a, a more than a three-year deal. If he gets a five-year deal, that's probably five times five. I've heard some people say seven times seven. I'm not giving him that. No. I'm intrigued I'm a- what uh, the twins have. But I think we're all in the same boat. I just we can't do it. It's just, again, it's going back to the well, and we need to inject some high offense into this team, and I think that's the route that we're going to go. Uh, from Lucas Mountain at Lucas Mo on Twitter, there's like seven S's in his username. So I had a I thought you like had a small stroke right there when you were trying no. to say it. No, but uh, draft related, if Reinbacher <laughs> slips to nine, do you take him or do you go with a goal scorer? I think if you're going between uh, Reinbacher and a goal scorer, you go goal scorer. I think that's what it is because I think we have established that Sandy Palika has overtaken Reinbacher for the better defenseman. So that's our, I mean, that's. Again, that could be semantics at that point, though. I'm still going goal scorer, I think, though. I think if there's high offense available, you take it. I could honestly go either way because we can't have the expectation. I mean, your hope is that one of these guys picked at nine is a year away. Yeah. Right? Yep. About whether it's somehow knocking on the door this season or they're they're 100% on this roster come next season, like not this coming, the following. So are, do I think all the guys that we've talked about could be that? Sure. But they need goal scoring. I don't know. I, I wouldn't be upset about it. I'm going to put it that way and leave it at that. I like the non-draft related question, though. Anyone else feel like Wallander will be packaged in a deal this offseason to get a top six goal scorer outside the prospects Iserman won't trade? You'd think Wallander has the most value and would almost have to be included to get a deal done, especially with the abundance of left-handed defensemen. I'd prefer to package Booyam, but he doesn't have nearly as much value. I'd agree there. He doesn't. Uh, Wallander has been the one that I've been... Yeah, Wallander has been the one I've been including in my draft packages because he has that, I think, higher ceiling than Johansson Mm -hmm. has. I almost think people are going to be asking for Edvinson, but I would say that's probably a no-go at this point. And your next, I think, best defensive prospect would be William Wallander. And I think that's where you'd go. And you're right. We have an abundance of lefty that will not all make it into this team because there are only so many spots available. So I think if you're trading firsts, you're probably going to have to include a Wallander as a prospect in order to get a deal done for a scorer. And I, I think that's that why it's I could fine see if Reinbacher or Palka be getting picked at nine. I mean, if they somehow survive past 12, I could see a trade up from Iserman to go get them for the right D side for the right side. But maybe, maybe, but I mean, I if you're trading Wallander, you're only affecting the left side of the, of the defense. No, I get that. But we know that the right side is definitely a need right now. And yep. if you can land one of those guys within the top 15, if you have to move up a couple spots, like we saw him do for Kosa. Why not? Yeah. It depends on what it costs at that point. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what was it for Kosa? It wasn't anything crazy, was it? No, it wasn't crazy. That's the thing. It was the, they swapped firsts and moved up with... with. What do we try, a third? Uh, it's going to bug me now. I want to see it. Let's go to the trade history. Kosa. Kosa was 
a first. So they moved up. They gave him, they swapped first with Dallas. They gave Dallas the second round pick. That was the Rangers' original pick. So he didn't even get rid of that. And then he gave them uh, Ottawa's fifth round pick, all for 2021. Yeah. So not crazy. That's not crazy. I mean, we've got three second round picks. The key, the key to all of that is Eiserman didn't trade away any of the Red Wings' native picks to get Kosa. Yeah, the high picks. <laughs> didn't trade any yeah, of the higher it was picks. A pick he got from Washington, a pick he got from the Rangers, and he picked he got from Ottawa. Now, I think those were all from other trades as well, not from just specifically trading with those teams, but you see what my point is. He didn't yeah. trade away any of their positioning. Tyler, you think Wallander's gone? I think there's a cert- there's a chance that Wallander's gone. I guess it depends on what you're trading away and what you're getting back. Um, I wouldn't trade Wallander if you're just trying to move up in the draft. I think where I would trade Wallander is if you're trying to get a Mitch Marner, you're trying to get a Clayton Keller or X player, um, a Quinn Hughes from Vancouver, something like that. I mean, I think that's when you see a William Wallander, uh, you know, added to a package to make a trade like that. I don't think you just move up trying to move no. up in the draft. You're no. you're not putting them in that trade. Yeah, that may, you're only trading him for a top, like a high offensive goal scorer or a really good right defenseman. That's what you're Unless trading. for somehow, for, for some reason, a team like Columbus or San Jose gets really stupid and says, you know what, give us your two first round picks and William Wallander and we'll let you in the top five. Then, then Jesus. Maybe. even then, uh, that's a whole lot to give up to just not. I even still get wouldn't do three. it. No. Not to move it in the top five. I can't. No. What about I, top three? Yes. No. Yes. Mm-hmm. You would? Because yep. then yep. you get Leo Carlson. Okay, these guys are going to be on your NHL roster. Yeah, then I could, fair. Yep. Yeah, I would give up both my first round picks and a William Wallander for an Adam Fantilli or a Leo Carlson. Now, Absolutely. What's the deal with Matvey Michkov? Is it is he just not coming to the NHL Iron for three years? He's got a contract in the KHL. Now, that doesn't mean he can't defect. Um, but you'd have to get like his whole family. They're really over defecting here. anymore. I guess at this point it would be Ab- considered that. Absolutely. <laughs> Back to Soviet Russia, Ryan. But yeah, I mean, we've absolutely. already seen one of his family members already. Uh, yeah, no, your dad falls into a pond and he dies. Apparently, that's what happened to Matt Vaymichkov's dad. So I, I that's the only and we're one. On that list. That that I'm pretty sure we've said it before, and I'm still alive. I don't see any drones outside my window. But sorry, I th- China has all my information anyways. So I'm sorry. I think that if if a Mitchkoff is one that fell, if, if you're looking at pick number seven and Mitchkoff's still there, you're you're really trying to push to move up a couple spots to take him. Or if he's there, even at, though he might not be in the NHL for two or three years. Give yeah. or take. Yep, because he's that dynamic of a player, I think, or he can be that dynamic of a player. I think that's what you do. I think you still have to move because you're trying to get the best offensive talent available, and that's the best offensive talent available. Um, we're going to move to our last question. Is a Facebook question from Philip Barton. He says, hey, guys, just wanted to say massive thanks first for the content and keeping me up to date with all the news. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. Uh, question is, do you guys see the Red Wings making any trades up to move in the draft at all? And if who that might be, I've always wanted to ask if you guys had time also, if you had the chance to take either pair. Now, we answered the first part already. And Hold on, let's move it up. Yeah. Right. Um, but if you guys had the chance to take either pair, who would you take? Drysidel and McDavid or Datsuk and Zetterberg? He says, thanks again. Much love for the pod from Scotland. And me and Ryan 
I, I messaged this question, and Tyler, I'm sure you saw it. It's just like you look at it, and there's there's variables. Fuck, man. There's variables. So I is I'll, it? I'll tell you what. Fuck you for the question. That's the first thing. <laughs> is it prime Datsuk and Zetterberg now, or is it prime McDavid and Drysital back then? Wait, like what is it? You mean when they're in? I, I think you're taking both prime. It's got to okay. be both in their prime. Which which era? Today's NHL or Zetterberg and Datsuk's prime NHL? I mean, I think you could argue that Zetterberg and Datsuk's prime NHL still easily translates to current. It does, but I think the game is faster, and I think there's a higher skill it is, level now. But at their prime, they, I mean, you had two of the best two-way centers forwards in all of hockey. Between the two, I mean, they were the Euro Twins for a reason. Not to mention, they were fast players, too. Yes, but Pavel Datsuk was possibly the best defensive center, one of the best defensive centers to ever play hockey. And he was also one of the best centers in hockey for several years running. Can I split my decision? Do I have to pick that, a pair? That, I don't think that's... Yeah, you can. Can I pick McDavid Datsuk? Like, I mean, I, that would be the obvious choice. That's the obvious choice. I just, it's hard to pick against McDavid because without a question to me, he is the best player since Gretzky. Absolutely. There's, there's no and doubt. You could say, I mean, Datsuk got a later start. It's so hard, right? Like, it's I one that... I take Datsuk over Dreisaitl, dry to your point. And I think Zetterberg and Dreisaitl, the edge, in a way, almost could go to Zetterberg because of how, the two-way game that he had. But, but, Dreisaitl puts to shame Zetterberg on the offensive side of the puck even with the lack of defense. like Yeah, it's a severe lack of defense, too. This Leon, Dreisaitl, Leon Dreisaitl's <laughs> EV defense is a 7. I think if you ask... That's bad. I think if you ask anyone that's a non-Wings fan, without hesitation, they even without a recency bias, and knowing what Zetterberg and Datsuk were, I think that the, without a question would probably be McDavid and Dreisaitl. And I can't be upset about that because... They're fucking good. <laughs> and I'm I'm almost understating it by that point. But so was Datsuk and Zetterberg. But they did it in different ways to be at that high elite level of hockey. Ugh. Yeah, I think, uh, like I said, fuck you for the question. No, all <laughs> kidding aside. <laughs> all kidding aside. Um, I mean, like Zetterberg and Datsuk compared to Drysidle, I would say, pretty well. Datsuk more so than than Zetterberg, I would say. But I don't think either of which compare to McDavid. So I think that way you would have to take McDavid and Drysidle, even without recency bias. Um, McDavid and Drysidle are just, especially McDavid. McDavid's like a Crosby, you know. He's like a a Mario Lemieux, where he's just like, you know, that. I like the Lemieux comparison better than a Crosby. But but the reason I say Crosby is he's he's that can't miss number one overall pick yeah, the next fair. one that kind of thing and so like we don't really have that like Datsuk obviously was drafted where he was drafted same with Setterberg but like even then the play style on the ice is just different now Datsuk is closer to McDavid but I I, I still don't think he's he's even close 
I was trying to find it took me forever. Hockey reference redid their player comparison stuff. And I was trying to pull it up to look at everybody, but it's taken me too long. So I wonder who McDavid's comparison is. It's got to be like, I don't even Gretzky, maybe. Oh, it's got to be. But I was what I was trying to do was look at stats through those years and see what Datsuk had like through that beautiful stretch compared to McDavid. Now I know he didn't touch McDavid numbers, but he has been the harder most to performance. score then. I will tell you basically it was harder you, to score then than it is now. There. If you're looking at historical player data, Pavel Datsuk's J Fresh card, uh, his war was a 99%. EV offensive 90, EV defensive 96, 99% on the power play, 95% finishing. Um, it's just it's a beautiful card to look at because I think hands down. Datsuk's going to be the better player than Leon Dreisaitl. Absolutely. If you take complete play into account, like I said, one of the best. Yep. One of, and that's his two, 2015 card. So there's your like peak Pavel Datsuk, his 2015 99%. 2015, and he only had, he had 65 points in 63 games. So he's over a point, a point per game player at that point. Yeah. If you look at Henrik Zetterberg, and I guess what season do you want to see of Henrik Zetterberg? Because if you look at, uh, let's see, 20... 0708. 0708. So That's when right? 2008 season, his projected war, 100%. 95 offense, 97 defense, 99 finishing. Um, just all-around beast player. So 2008 is your Henrik Zetterberg is peak player at 100% war. Um, your Datsuk, yeah, your Datsuk in 2008 at a 99 so those, I mean, it's them playing together, but then also their individual talent where if, if you're telling me I'm getting both players, it's almost hard not to pick Zetterberg and Datsuk simply for how they play together and for just Datsuk, Datsuk as a player. But then again, like you said, Ryan, it's hard to pick against McDavid because the best player since Gretzky and it's just... It's a we've got ourselves a conundrum. I guess that's what we <laughs> what we'd say. It, it, so, it, it, in a way, it comes down to: Do you want to see the oh shit, what a goal moment, or do you want to see man when he's on the ice, you know it, and he dominates at both ends? And you can now argue that McDavid is growing into that type of player while yeah. still putting up those points. Drysdale, <laughs> his controller dies as soon as they lose the puck half the time, but. It, like even at Datsik's peak, that 0708 season along with Zetterberg, he had 97 points. He never broke 100 points, which blows my fucking mind. It's yeah. harder to score. Yeah, it was. It was harder. But to he score. still won in that 0708 season. He won a Selkie. He won also, the Lady. So also, not only was it harder to score rules wise, but it was also harder to score because I think the goalies were better too. And, and that's not to take away from what the goalies do now. Uh, but, you know, there was Martin Brodeur and Henrik Lundqvist and Jonathan Quick and Terry Price and all these great goaltenders that a lot of them will be in the Hall of Fame. Pecorine. Pecorine, yeah. Goalies. So um, was it harder to score then? Yes. The goaltenders are also better, I feel like. So yeah. it, it's it's kind of feels like it's starting to get to a point. I don't know if it's quite there yet. To a point where it was like in the 90s where there was no, like the goaltenders were either non-existent or just at a disadvantage. 
Yeah, it's the skill of the skill of the forwards is outpacing. I think the skill of a lot of the goaltenders. Which I is also think a lot of the interesting. rule changes and stuff have to do with the players being able to just kind of go to the net and not really be yep. touched and all that shit. So mm. yeah. Well, Philip, thank you for the question. That's absolutely broken our brains. Ultimate, um, ultimate mind fuck. Yeah, it was. It's it's really hard for us. And, and like you said, Ryan, anyone outside of Detroit would absolutely just go, yeah, McDavid and Dryside. But then you got to sit there watching. Zetterberg and Datsuk for all those years do what they did and go, I don't know, man. It's it's really, really tough. Um, but again, Philip, thank you for listening. Thank you for the question. Uh from, from Scotland. Scotland. Yeah. And I want to get your guys' final thoughts before we sign off. We're gonna start with Tyler tonight since he's here and we might not see him for a few weeks. So you'll see me next week. I just bank on that. Um, final thoughts. Well, the Stanley Cup playoff is or the Stanley Cup finals are set. Um, I don't believe we did a prediction, but so I'll just do that here. I, I think the Panthers are going to win in seven. I think Matthew Kachuk is going to win the Conn Smythe Trophy. Um, but Over if the Panthers win, it's Bob. Absolutely. Not if Kachuk puts a team on his back like he, you know, like he can. You mean yeah. like Bob's done for three rounds? Yeah, but I mean, they, they kind of seem to to not care about the other three rounds once the finals comes around. So if he like that's called shit voting 15 points or something like that, then the finals in seven games, I think he'd probably get the consummate. But even though regardless, I mean, Bob's played fantastic. Regardless of the situation, I want I want it to be a good series. I I, I, there's no other way. I mean, because these other series weren't great. I mean, just both three games to none. I know Rod Brindamore was talking about how his team didn't get swept, even though they lost four games. I found that found that hilarious. But um, yeah, no, those are my final thoughts. Enjoy the Stanley Cup playoffs, and before you know it, we'll be to the draft. And uh, you know, I have a countdown here for the college football season. And you know what? The college football season is not that far away from the hockey season. So before you know it, we'll be back on the ice again. And you can follow me on Twitter at SealDog91. I'm torn because. Part of me wants Vegas to win it just to see people absolutely lose their fucking minds. Be like, oh, they got handed a cup. Well, no, they George McPhee is a psychopath and he rebuilt the, the roster pretty much in a matter of six years. Um, but it would just be hilarious to me. And also the party in Vegas would be unhinged, which would be fantastic to see the videos of it. So just to know that they'll have like probably Cirque du Soleil in their fucking parade would be hilarious to me. Plus, I also selfishly want to try to bug my buddy um, to get a certain Vegas player that's going to be at his bachelor party this summer to hopefully bring the cup uh, to said bachelor party up in northern Michigan later this year. So if that happens, I'm going to be pushing hard for that. It's like very unlikely, but it'd be sweet as shit anyways. Um, but uh, yeah, other than that, we're getting closer to the draft. Things hockey's season is finally coming to an end. It's a little bit bittersweet, but. As Wings fans, you got to be getting excited because this is probably the biggest offseason we've had since 2013. After that fallout from the Chicago series losing in game seven, probably around that time frame, this is the biggest offseason because Holland should be. Well, I mean, in terms of when a lot of movement needed to take place to continue making this team better. So, so we'll see. But other than that, it was good. A lot of good conversation. Already ran 33.
You can follow me online at Breaking the Wing. You can follow the Grindline Podcast online at Grindline Pod. I want to give a huge shout out to Retire My Number. If you go on to Twitter and go to at Retire My Number, he makes sweet. sweet banners. And he made us a really cool banner. And I would totally hold it up on the camera, except for it's behind me. And I have headphones that are connected to my mic. Um, but he makes really cool banners. If you go to our Twitter page, you'll see a picture of it. I put a tweet out there that has it. Um, it he does a bunch of cool, like, um, kind of charity ones, too. He does, like, the Bob Probert ones. He's done ones or uh, Bobby Ryan and just different charities. Uh, and the, a lot of the proceeds go towards the charity, which is really cool. Um, but you can go check him out, order a banner. Uh, he does customs. It's really cool. And we give a shout out to the Hockey Podcast Network at Hockey Podnet for supporting us and spreading our podcast around. Vintage Detroit, which is the only place you get your Detroit jerseys from and worked on. If you use the promo code GRINDLINE on Howie's Hockey Tape, you get 10% off. And on Bring Hockey Back, you get 12% off. Please check out our YouTube channel, sub to us, turn on those notifications. You'll get notified every time an episode or a special or whatever I post goes live, so you'll always be up to date. Um, but that is going to do it for us tonight. Oh, yeah, you can check out our merch on RobBubble.com by searching the grind line. Um, but that's going to do it for us tonight. So for Ryan and Tyler, I am Greg. You stay classy, hockey down.